0: This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Harry's, for guys who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now. And just in time for Father's Day, you can get $5 off the limited edition Father's Day set by entering promo code FOOL when you check out. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It is Tuesday, June 7th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen, here to bring you the latest news and insights from the consumer and retail sectors. Joining me remotely from Massachusetts today is our senior auto specialist and Fool.com contributor, John rosevere How are you doing, John?
1: I'm doing great, Vincent. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm really excited to have you on. We are talking about some pretty interesting companies today. Uh, actually, you know, we're kind of talking about mythical creatures and fairy tales. At least, I—that's <laughs> the way I was inspired by uh, some of the recent news from last week. And. I'm specifically talking about giants and unicorns, so before I scare you off, and probably our listeners as well, I should clarify that I'm referring to the retail giant Walmart, and the two unicorns are actually hailing from Silicon Valley. They're known as Uber and Lyft. So If you're wondering what unicorns have to do with anything, that is a loving name given to startup companies that have achieved a valuation of $1 billion or more, which like the mythical horned creature, is a pretty rare and coveted feat. So, there are some amusing offshoots to this term, too, that I thought I wanted to share with you because I really thought this was pretty funny. For a Canadian startup that reaches this same billion-dollar milestone, they're actually called Narwhals, named after the horned whales found in the Canadian Arctic. And if you go even bigger, a Decacorn is a startup with a $10 billion valuation, which, as you will see, Uber does qualify for, while Lyft is a little bit short. So, tying this back to the consumer and retail world, and really kind of the, uh, i feel like the story that brought us into these topics uh, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan he announced that his company would be partnering with Uber and Lyft uh, to essentially have them offer last mile delivery services for some of their grocery orders as they kind of expand their e-commerce and direct to consumer initiatives so you know for for these companies the ride sharing companies at least we will discover kind of what their business is like how they're expanding into complementary um, Businesses like in retail with delivery, and uh, just what their story is like, some of the opportunities and challenges they have ahead. So, for our listeners, John, who might not be as familiar with these two unicorns, could you give us a really quick overview of Uber and Lyft and their business?
1: Okay, these are two companies, uh, the two leading companies in the United States, at least, that specialize in what we call ride hailing. Uh, Most of you listening have probably had some experience with this directly or indirectly. But for those who haven't, you get a smartphone app. Uh, that allows you to summon a ride in many cities uh, from one of these companies. It's like a private taxi service. You use the app and summon a ride. Uh, and now this, these are crowdsourced, we say. the, the drivers um, are, are not licensed taxi drivers or anything like that. They're just regular folks who have signed up with the service to provide rides. Uh, and Uber and Lyft say you know they're providing, gig type jobs for people extra in inco- chances to make extra income and so forth as well as as transportation that that goes around a lot of the existing infrastructure and and fills in some of the gaps
0: okay okay so i personally have uh, used this service quite a bit both during my time in new york and also my past few years living in dc uh, i am somewhat uh, agnostic between the two i don't have a preference um overall it just kind of depends on who's charging more and and which one has a better, a shorter wait time? But uh, you know, it seems like Uber is the far bigger, uh, far bigger, like dominant player in the space at the moment. Uh, they also had a bit of the first mover advantage. They were developed in 2009 uh, by Travis Kalanick, who's still the CEO, and Garrett Camp, uh, and they launched in San Francisco officially in May of 2010. Whereas Lyft did not launch until June 2012, and that was started by Logan Green and John Zimmer. As an offshoot, actually, of Zimride, which is another service that they were working on for longer ride shares between cities rather than within cities, which I think is the way that most people use these two services now. So, you know, beyond the ride handling that you mentioned, the core uh, service, you know, with this Walmart announcement, it seems like potentially they're kind of testing some new ways to to grow their businesses. And it seems like, I think, uh, from my research, you know, Uber has done this in the past with things like Uber Rush and Uber Eats. But, you know, what do you think?
1: I think there's a lot of experimentation going on. I mean, this deal with Walmart, uh, it's they're actually running three, city tests. They've got Uber in um, Phoenix, they've got Lyft in Denver, and they've got a third startup called Delive in Miami. Delive, uh specifically does crowdsource delivery services. They say their goal is to help their retail partners out Amazon, Amazon. So you can see what everybody here is thinking, uh, that you know, Amazon's moving in the same day service and, and Walmart's like, whoa, we've got to compete with it. But it, it looks to me right now like this is a test. Um, you know where where will this catch on, as well as as how do the different partners for these tests perform? Uber, Lyft, and Deliver. Uh, they may be in competition with each other in terms of who Walmart will choose to go forward with long-term, uh, which is an interesting dynamic. It is interesting that they've signed up three different companies to do this in three different cities. Uh, but but the general structure of it, as Walmart has announced it, is is a lot like the same-day service that Amazon has rolled out in some places. You order online groceries, specifically for groceries. You order online, you choose a, two, a two-hour delivery window, um, and then uh, whichever of these services is active in your city it brings the stuff within that window, your groceries. Um, so, you know, with respect to how it plays out. Uh, with some of the other stuff uber has done uber's kind of doing its own testing um, they have this program uber eats well where they'll you know deliver your dinner that's uh, running in 16 US city, US and Canadian cities I think or maybe some in Europe too uh, and then there's this little thing they've got going that they just started uber rush uh, it's courier service it's just in three cities right now New York San Francisco and Chicago um, and interestingly it, it, it includes bike couriers as well as cars but this is business. Courier service. You know, we got to run the documents to the courthouse. We got to uh, run this package to uh, these samples to our client. That kind of thing. It's it's within a city. It's it's fast delivery, uh, mostly for businesses. It sounds like. Um, so, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of experimentation going on right now. Uber is experimenting, Walmart is experimenting. We know Amazon is experimenting, although not with these services. Uh, Lyft is part of this experiment as well. It's, it's, what will what will get steam? What will people really dive into to adopt. Uh, do Amazon Prime members really need same-day delivery or is tomorrow fine? These are a lot of the things that are, are being explored right now. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos with Amazon seems determined to, to you know, have the thing pop out of the computer the moment you click order, uh, or, or as close to that as he can possibly get. Uh, I think Walmart needs to figure out how close to that do they need to get to stay competitive in a retail world that's increasingly dominated by Amazon.
0: Yes, and in and, and general, you know, the theme it seems now with retail and I've touched on this many times on the show, is that, you know, these companies want to get their customers what it whatever they're buying as quickly as possible if that is able to allow them to kind of differentiate themselves and their services or their products in any way whatsoever. So Right, you know, do people absolutely, you know, need that within that two-hour window so soon, or is the next day or even two-day delivery that's you know standard with Amazon Prime, for example, enough? But uh, you know, I'm curious to see what the results are from this initial testing, and uh, you know, just to add on to that, the cost, by the way, is I think it's around seven to ten dollars additional for per order if you're you know getting your groceries through Uber or Lyft through this testing, and then you know it's charged from Walmart as if it's their shipping and handling, and then they kind of pay to the ride-hailing services on the back end.
1: So interesting, yeah.
0: Um, you know, and with some of this expansion too, I I think we don't want to, uh, I guess, get away from the fact that you know this is those are still very small parts for uh, of their business, both for Uber and Lyft. Ultimately, you know, they have been able to reach the so-called unicorn status uh, through their core ride-hailing service and. Just to give you a size of, you know, their their uh, a sense of their size and and their growth, you know, investors for Uber have inclu- included some fellow tech companies like Microsoft and Baidu, a lot of institutional names like Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, government funds, and even some industry leaders like Jeff Bezos. And um, so, you know, as the biggest player, there has been a lot of uh, fundraising for them. You know, over ten billion dollars, I think, to date which has given them quite a bit of a, a war chest so to speak to essentially expand as, as aggressively as they have as they have they you know have a much bigger worldwide global footprint than lyft does which is still very much focused in the United States mm-hmm. but there was some leaked financials last year that I wanted to share with you from Uber that I thought were pretty interesting giving you an idea of like how this is basically a company that's bleeding growth, but also highly, highly unprofitable, which is common for these Silicon Valley startups. So, net revenue, or total bookings actually, let's start there, were $3.6 billion for the first half of 2015. That's essentially everything uh, that the drivers collect. So, they take a cut that's about 75%. So, net revenue actually for Uber was about $663 million for that first half of last year. And keep in mind, That is up from 495 million dollars in all of 2014. So just in that first half year, they're already on pace to easily double the prior year amount. And uh, some of their expenses that are coming in, you know, 24 percent of their net revenue went to operations support. 27% went to general and administrative expenses and then here's a the kicker 44% of their net revenue so some 295 million dollars for that period went to sales and marketing so you know the competition in this you know kind of transportation industry this niche you might even call it has been very intense and you know their gap losses amounted to about six hundred and seventy-one million in twenty fourteen, and then nine hundred eighty-seven million just for that first half of twenty fifteen. And those are the most recent numbers I could find. Whereas for Lyft on their side, they're much they're at a much smaller scale. Where you know they had about one hundred twenty-seven million dollar loss in the first half of twenty fifteen on forty-seven million dollars in revenue. You know they think their run rate in terms of actual gross uh, bookings is at about a billion um, dollars, and, and potentially more in the coming year but you know they spent more than twice of their revenue again on the same over the same period on marketing and you can see how they're trying to, to just one up each other um so you know moving forward uh just wanted to talk a little bit about some of these challenge uh, some of the challenges that they faced also I know you know when we were speaking yesterday about this you mentioned some of the legal hurdles the regulatory hurdles and and just also the issue of finding drivers if you could touch on that more I'd love to hear
1: well, I mean, I mean we've, we've all read about this. Uh, Uber and Lyft go into some city somewhere and the taxi drivers uh, protest and flip out and the regulators say, well, you know, we can't have unlicensed hackney carriages or whatever. Uh, and, and in some places, this has been easy. And in some places like New York, they've worked to compromises. And in some places like Austin, Texas, uh, for the moment anyway, Uber and Lyft gave up. They, they said, you know, the rules you're demanding here are, are, are too onerous for us, and they, they went away. And there's been a lot of that. Uber uh, separately has huge issues in China, uh, where they are being outpaced by Didi, the local company, which is much bigger in China, uh, in part because Didi is native to the to the country and native to uh, dealing with Chinese very complicated government regulations and, and you know, pacifying the officials in every city and so forth to operate, uh, whereas Uber has Spent a lot of money trying to keep up, and has 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 maybe not kept up. There's a lot of skepticism that Uber is going to be able to uh, uh, really challenge Didi in China. Uh, whereas Lyft hasn't even bothered. Lyft partnered with Didi. Didi invested in Lyft. Actually, <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they've they've gone right around this. And it's interesting that that uh, one of the big differences between these two companies is that. Uber is doing things on its own, and Lyft is doing them through partners. Um, you know, we talk about retaining drivers, hiring, retaining drivers. Uh, that's a that's a huge thing for both of them. Uh, one of the problems is people who come and want to drive, and they don't have uh, what is deemed a suitable car—a car with a that, that's fairly nice and fairly new, and that has a back seat that passengers can easily get in and out of. Um, you know, Uber has. Uh, Set up various leasing programs, including one that's getting some controversy right now called Uber Exchange, uh, which is a subprime leasing program for drivers with poor credit. Uh, you make weekly payments on your car that I think come out of your Lyft earnings, but it's a huge markup over what you'd pay if you just went to, you know, a Toyota dealer or whatever and got the same car. Uh, Evan New, uh, our our technology senior technology specialist, uh, has a great article on this on Fool.com right now. It's it's really um, you know, the charges that they're charging these, these drivers for are really extreme and it's sort of the company store thing. you've got to you know you've always got to work more to kind of stay ahead of the company store and your debt to the company store. Uh, Lyft is doing something a little different here. Uh, Lyft has, and I will look here to find the name of it briefly, uh, they have something called Express Drive. Uh, This is something they've set up with their most recent big investor, who is not a Silicon Valley name, it's General Motors. Uh, GM and Lyft are doing some really interesting things. This is the first thing that came out of that partnership. It's a rental program. They've started it in Chicago, and they're going to roll it out to other cities uh, over the next year or so. Uh, you 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 rent by the week uh, a GM vehicle. It starts at ninety nine dollars a week. But here's the key: the more rides you give for Lyft during the week, the cheaper it is, and it can go right down to nothing, where Lyft is paying it. Um, and that ninety nine a week includes insurance and maintenance. Uh, the terms are more flexible, and this is this is part of how Lyft has been working uh, against with some of the controversy uh, that has come around Uber. Uber they're saying, you know, we're 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 the kinder, gentler company. We're a little nicer to drive for. We take better care of our drivers. Uh, you know, we provide a little better service. Uh, whether all of that is true is is open to some discussion, but that's certainly been their positioning, and it, it does seem to be working for them. Um, so, so yeah, the big problem for them both is is retaining and and. Um, you know, finding, drawing drivers, uh, that's part of the expansion. I mean, they, they want more customers and they want more drivers to serve those customers. When we look at some of the deals like Walmart, that's something that could grow into a big side business over time. But of course, they'll need to crowdsource the drivers to do it, at least for the next several years, because it's interesting that both of these companies are making big moves towards self-driving vehicles, uh, which will replace drivers in time, or at least that's the thinking. Y- I think yes. that's the real investment bet here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I definitely want to turn to that. Some of the, uh, you know, the opportunities and the challenges with that, because you know, I think, uh, I think uh, Uber CEO has talked a lot about the huge opportunity he sees uh, with self-driving cars and changing their business model with their tens of thousands of drivers. But before we move on, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Harry's. While fellow fool Dylan Lewis is, uh, you know, he's able to sport a beard while hosting the technology industry focus episode, you know, my facial hair comes in a little bit too patchy for that, so I stick with a more baby face look. And having to shave every day, I've tried most products from electric shavers, both wet and dry, to the cheapest ten for one dollar disposables, and even traditional shaves with a double edge safety razor. But Harry's has really stood out as my first choice for a fast, clean, and comfortable shave. And With Father's Day coming soon, I think it's hard to beat a gift that your dad, brother, or husband will be able to enjoy every single day, and Harry's has you covered. While supplies last, Harry's is offering a limited edition shave set for Father's Day that includes a matte black razor handle, chrome stand, moisturizing shave gel, three handcrafted blade cartridges, and travel cover, all for just $40. You can even personalize the set with custom engraving or card, and all of it is shipped straight to your door. So, if you go to harrys.com right now, Motley Fool Fool podcast listeners can get $5 off their first purchase with the promo code FOOL. Again, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter the code FOOL for $5 off your order at checkout. I love their products and uh, I really highly recommend you check them out. So. Uh, you know, getting to the the self-driving car thing that you mentioned, and some of these uh, opportunities that the two companies, uh, Uber and Lyft, have faced out of them. And uh, actually, you know, I want to double back really quickly. I hope listeners don't mind. To the DD, uh, uh, the incumbent in China that kind of leads with market share in that market. You know, what you mentioned in terms of the international expansion, Uber's been much more aggressive with that. Lyft has been much more focused in the U.S. and kind of taken a more measured approach. But uh, you know that partnership that you mentioned with DD investing in, uh, in Lyft. You know they also launched a partnership in conjunction with Ola, which is the leading service in India, and then Grab Taxi, which kind of leads for Southeast Asia. Where the four these four services basically give riders a seamless experience in that you can use your native app. So if you're uh, you know if you're a Lyft user and you travel to China, you can use DD uh, ride uh, ride-hailing services. On that, uh, on that same Lyft app, for that kind of cross functionality, and this is like part of their, I think, alliance essentially, to to fight back against Uber and its more dominant position, I think, overall. And something that's really interesting, kind of behind the scenes, you know, all these uh, these services that have kind of allied together. Have shared a common investor that's kind of coming out as a behind-the-scenes challenger to Uber, and that's SoftBank. Surprisingly, you know, telecom based out of Japan, kind of an interesting dynamic there. But you know, they have uh, SoftBank has pushed to invest a lot of money into startups, and uh, is you know this is just kind of one byproduct of that. So you know, more on the opportunities now uh, with with the self-driving cars. I've seen this presented. Both as a big as a huge uh, uh, chance for them to essentially reduce their costs and have a more flexible business model. But at the same time, um, you know, I think it might represent a double edged sword because if you think like Alphabet, which is, you know, seen as a leader in the space in terms of uh, actual driverless car technology, you know, they could kind of hop into this themselves, couldn't they? Uh,
1: it- well, our friends at Google Cars don't want to build cars. Uh, so they would need an automaker partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's back up a minute. Uber has uh, a partnership uh, going with Carnegie with with a research team uh, out of Carnegie Mellon uh, where they are working on self-driving technology. They just a couple weeks ago put their first self-driving prototype uh, on the road in Pittsburgh, where they're testing it uh, with the support of Pittsburgh city government and so forth. And I think their idea is that, Uh, if the automakers don't get to market quickly enough with something, they will develop a system that maybe can be retrofitted to existing vehicles to provide self-driving technology. Um, Their their program seems to be... Not too far along compared to where some rivals—and we're going to get into this in a moment—not just Alphabet's Google Cars, uh, but some of the automakers are, are farther along than people realize. And one in particular, General Motors, uh, put five hundred million dollars into Lyft in, in uh, January and has become Lyft's new best friend. Yes. Uh, and and this comes down to GM's new electric car, the Chevrolet Bolt. I think some casual investors have looked at it and said, "Ha ha, it's ugly," and the Tesla is not ugly. What they're not, what they're, what what they're missing is that the Bolt was designed. Uh, in part with ride-hailing as well as like ride-sharing services, um, sort of a zip car type thing that GM is, is starting on its own. Uh, it was designed with those kinds of services in mind. It's, tight, it, it's an electric car that can be... Easily maneuvered in tight city spaces, it can come right up to the curb, it has great visibility, Uh, a rear-view mirror that's aided by cameras to provide a much wider view, Uh, rear doors that open wide, a flat floor to make it easy to get in and out of the rear seat. I was was looking at the car at the North American International Auto Show in January, and the the GM folks who had worked on the project uh, were going on and on about all the features they'd built in. Uh, for ride-sharing and for ride-hailing, uh, for, for Lyft drivers, to make it friendly for, for Lyft drivers and for maybe even for Uber drivers if they buy one on their own. But there's a program going forward, uh, Lyft, Lyft has talked about this, uh, GM officially has no comment, but they certainly didn't challenge it when Lyft came out with this a few weeks ago and said, we're going to be testing a self-driving car service in a, in a to-be-determined American city within a year. Uh, and the self-driving cars will be Chevrolet Bolts equipped with GM's self-driving technology, which has taken a big leap forward recently uh, because they acquired another startup called Cruise Automation, which apparently had sort of the missing piece of the technology that GM had been struggling to develop. And and we don't know exactly the whole story around this, but but. This acquisition has apparently let GM take a big leap forward with self-driving cars. And and Lyft is probably going to be the first to benefit from that uh, with this test program. They're actually going to be testing a self-driving taxi service. And apparently the way this will work, at least in the beginning, to get people comfortable with it, is there will be a driver in the car. Uh, and you can opt in or opt out in the Lyft app. But if you opt in, the car comes and picks you up uh, with a driver keeping an eye on things. But the car drives itself. And this is... This is Part of their test program uh, that they're going to roll out, and and that this, in time, uh, with this this uh, express drive service that Lyft has, where uh, GM provides this weekly rental service to its driver. Uh, right now, those are, are small Chevy SUVs, uh, crossover SUVs. It's thought that in a couple of years, those are going to be uh, Chevy Bolts, and uh, maybe a few more years after that, there there isn't going to be that. They're just going to be self-driving Chevy Bolts, and and. GM leases them to Lyft or something like that, uh, we don't, or maybe Lyft will buy them. We don't know how that deal will work yet. But that does seem to be, uh, given that finding drivers is the hassle here, uh, just replacing the drivers with self-driving cars in time seems to be where both companies are going. Although again, they're going about it very differently where Uber is trying to grow the technology organically within its own organization and, and Lyft is looking to partnerships to, to sort of keep pace or maybe even get an advantage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really surprised to see uh, in that General Motors lift tie up how quickly they were expecting to do their first test with those Chevy bolts that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, just uh, the fact that, you know, Uber has generally had that first mover advantage. But I think uh, management, uh, their side, has generally said that the timing for to launch, you know, full driverless feet would fleet. Wouldn't be until you know twenty twenty, and here you have Lyft and you know a not yet determined city, but potentially testing something within the next year. It's really incredible uh, how, how quickly this is coming along after the investment that General Motors made in, uh, earlier this year. <laughs>
1: And it's really GM. And just to take a little diversion here, uh, GM, as Americans, I think we say, aha, stumble bum GM. They sell giant SUVs, they don't know anything about technology. But since GM reformed out of bankruptcy and got a new management team, uh, it's a really different company. And they were maybe the first automaker to see what was coming out of Silicon Valley between Tesla and companies like Uber in 2011, 2012, and really say, okay, we got to jump on this. Uh, CEO Mary Barra, uh, talks repeatedly about how GM is determined to disrupt itself before anybody else does. Uh, A lot of automakers are now saying things like this, but GM is actually doing it. They've got a very advanced self-driving program. They have started their own uh, car sharing service, uh, sort of a Zipcar competitor, called Maven, uh, which is in cities, which uses GM vehicles, and and partly this is this is a revenue opportunity for them, and partly it's about I think introducing people to GM vehicles. If you're in your 20s and you live in Chicago, and you know you use Maven to get that same Chevy Volt every weekend, and then you move to the suburbs, well maybe Chevy is what you're going to consider, you know, when it's time for you to buy a car for your. For your house now that you're setting up a family outside of the city, I, I think that's part of their vision for this as well, and and I think um, you know that might even be part of the partnership with Lyft. Uh, Lyft drivers maybe maybe they're young and maybe as they, it's a way for them to get exposed to expose this large crowd of people, the General Motors vehicles, GM has not traditionally been strong in American cities, doing better in the suburbs and in rural areas. Uh, and they would like to do better in cities with cars like the Chevy Volt and soon to come the Chevy Bolt and, and vehicles like that. So it, it's interesting that that um, they have been able to give Lyft a real boost and to, and to really jump into this partnership with Lyft and, and, and step up and give them um, what looked like some roots to some really significant advantages.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, tying this all together, uh, I think some of our listeners are kind of curious like, okay, these sounds like interesting businesses, really incredible growth rates, uh, big opportunity overall. You know, where is the investing angle? And I have to say <laughs> that uh, at the time, you know, right now, there's it's quite a bit of uncertainty. Overall, uh, Uber CEO Travis Kalanick, he's indicated that. An IPO, if it were to happen, is still quite a long ways off, and they've generally been quite vague on timing. And Lyft is kind of in a similarly uncertain state regarding its IPO, uh, especially considering, you know, both companies' very heavy spending and losses. So, uh, you know, some people have pinned, uh, you know, potential Uber IPO to the end of this year. I think that is calling it maybe a little too early, Um, but you know, I think. If anything, uh, you know, the listeners should take away generally just the scale and the growth behind these opportunities and the fact that it's, they've had, uh, They've had an opportunity to start making an impact, you know, outside of their core space, uh, with these partnerships with the auto industry, for example. But also some of these expansions with Walmart and with things like Uber Eats and delivery and Uber Rush for like small business or enterprise courier services. And it's kind of interesting at this point. I think it's too early to tell. These companies are so young, you know, six seven years for for Uber and then just five or four or five years for Lyft that they have an opportunity. I think to still disrupt. Uh, you know a lot of different businesses and industries going forward, and uh, it will just be a really fun, fun sector to watch. So, um, uh, you know, if there's anything else you wanted to add, John. Uh, um
1: yeah, I just wanted to add a note about sort of the timing of a maybe IPO. Uh, Uber just in the last couple of weeks got a $3.5 billion investment from Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Uh, women, of course, are, are not allowed to have driver's licenses in Saudi Arabia. So uh, you know, the idea is that Uber will come in and, and give women rides so that they can get around. Uh, but on the, that says two things. First of all, Uh, Uber is having to go further and further afield for capital. I mean, they're long past the point where any of the Silicon Valley you know, funding options are going to jump in there. I mean, they've already long since had investments from company from uh, venture cap companies like Benchmark and Kleiner Perkins and some of the other ones you mentioned. Of course, uh, they, they've got mutual fund investments. Fidelity is in Wellington Management, which runs some of uh, the the active Vanguard funds and so forth. They're in. Uh, you know, they got a small investment from Toyota, but that's more of a that that's not that's very different from GM's investment in Lyft. I think Toyota is just. Sort of putting a finger in the pie, in the in the pie or a toe in the water, perhaps to to see how this works, but but again back to the point of the IPO, uh, they're having to go farther and farther afield for capital it seems, but they're finding capital. Uh, likewise, Lyft, which is a much smaller company and has taken in much less capital. I mean, they got five hundred million dollars from General Motors in January. Um, you know, I think, I think Lyft's valuation is said to be about $5.5 billion uh, in the round with General Motors, uh, whereas Uber's valuation is at $62.5 billion. They are, in fact, the highest valued of all of the unicorns. They're a, you know, a megacorn, even. Uh, and, and, and the question is, uh, I think, part, part of the question is, uh, given that the IPO market has cooled off considerably in the last several months. Can they go public at anything close to that? And if not, what does that mean for their investors who are already on board and who invested at these these really wild valuations?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and especially you know I feel like the IPO market overall is cooled to some of these kind of tech. Uh, unicorns that you you've mentioned, and uh, the fact that they were able to raise that 3.5 billion dollars from that Saudi fund means they're probably not that hungry for capital, even though they need it with their uh, expansion plans. So uh, thanks a lot, John, for joining me on the show today. It was awesome having you on.
1: Thank you. Always a pleasure.
0: That's a wrap for us today, but you can continue the conversation with us via Twitter at MFIndustryFocus or send us any questions or comments via email to IndustryFocus at fool.com. You can also enjoy the other great podcasts from The Motley Fool by checking out fool.com slash podcast. People on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and Fool on.